Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's almost like ACT was made for pandemic stress. ACT has six processes that are involved in promoting psychological flexibility. And if there's one thing that will help us get through pandemic stress and all of the stressors that we're facing, psychological flexibility is key. It's okay to be going through a hard time right now. All your emotions are valid in this hard situation and you're not alone. We have to do what works best for us. There's a lot of different ways of coping with this. That was us, Diana and Debbie on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoengren, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Psychologists Off the Clock is happy to be partnering with Dr. Rick Hansen and his six-week positive neuroplasticity training. You can check out more about the offering on our website, offtheclockpsych.com, and there we're going to be offering you a $50 off coupon code that you can use to sign up. These powerful methods will be useful to you. And if you're a mental health professional, there's also opportunity to bundle it with his professional course, which is ideal for therapists, coaches, educators, managers, trainers, and healthcare providers. So register now through our website, offtheclockpsych.com. And we'd also like to invite you to a virtual book club with our co-host, Jill Stoddard about her book, Be Mighty. That's happening in October. And if you go to our website and link to it through our sponsors page, you can get a 15% discount at checkout. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider making a values-based donation on Patreon. Even a small contribution helps us with some of our expenses. You could think of it as taking a co-host out for a cup of coffee. And you can link to Patreon on our website or just search for us on patreon.com. It's good to be back here. This is Diana with Debbie today for a special episode talking about the current stressors we are all facing. And we're really using this podcast today as a way to get some tools out to you that hopefully will be helpful right now. And also a reminder to ourselves to pick up those tools and use them. One of the things that I love about this podcast and about ACT is the opportunity to live out the principles that we're learning in our own lives. So today we'll talk a bit about those. Yes, it's very helpful sometimes to be a therapist and to have these tools available because we need them too. And we both talk all the time about how we practice these things. And we're hoping to share some of what we know with our listeners today. And just a note that Debbie and I have both done some writings and offerings on pandemic stress and using ACT at Debbie's website, drdebbiesorensen.com. 
She has a great blog on pandemic stress and anxiety. And I also have a fun handout for you in terms of body-based practices that are based in ACT for you to use. And you can get those at my website, which is drdianahill.com. We're going to be drawing a lot from ACT and contextual behavioral science. And one of the reasons why we're doing that is it's almost like ACT was made for pandemic stress. ACT has six processes that are involved in promoting psychological flexibility. And if there's one thing that will help us get through pandemic stress and all of the stressors that we're facing, psychological flexibility is key. It's about learning processes that help you navigate uncertainty and painful emotions, how to deal with sticky, nagging thoughts, and also how to address big questions about impermanence and what really matters to you. ACT is also about staying focused on daily, often small actions that line up with what you care most about. So today we're going to break down some of those processes and hopefully you'll find them helpful in your everyday life. Yeah, just about everything in our lives has been completely turned upside down within this past year. If you think about yourself a year ago versus now, so much has changed in every aspect of our day-to-day lives from you know, how we relate to our neighbors and our friends and family to how we are doing school and work to just those little day-to-day things like going to the grocery store and getting our hair cut. And so no wonder, right? What's one of the big things that's been turned upside down or sideways for you? Um, I don't even know where to begin to answer that question. Like my whole day structure, my kids are home. I'm home a lot. I think all the, you know, I'm pretty social and I'm just I'm kind of a hermit. Not really, but I'm, I'm home a lot. And so many things have changed. How about you, Diana? It's funny when you talk about being social and how you miss that. I'm sort of the opposite of I miss my alone time. There's never a time where I go into my house and it's just quiet and there's no one there. There's always a kid. There's always just that even that 10 minute break between clients where I would just have a breather of no one talking at me. (laughs) It's become like, mom, can you play balloon ball? Mom, what's this mean? What, you know, what are we having for lunch? And so for me, just that, that, that quiet space or the time to kind of regroup and and feel a little bit more me, I feel like that's gone. And I really miss that. You know, I actually think that one upside of the not having as many social plans is that I'm actually just enjoying more chill time with my family. It's, you know, we talk a lot about how there's just so many emotional ups and downs of this. And there are moments where my family's together and I'm like, this is nice. You know, we don't normally spend this much time together. Yeah, it's a lot of together time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Too much, maybe, sometimes. Pros and cons. Get away from yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So so we have the, you know, we have the stress of the pandemic that's turned everything upside down, but it's it's also this experience of, you know, that saying of like, when is the next shoe going to drop? It's like many shoes are being thrown at us at the same time. So the pandemic is on top of ongoing stressors that, that were pre-existing, but also are really um, brought come to the surface right now. So things like systemic racism, police violence and oppression, uh, extreme political division, financial uncertainty and economic inequities, uh, parental burnout, and this collision of work and home and a climate crisis. You know, we're recording at the very weekend. We found out on Friday that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. And I It just felt like, wait, now this on top of everything else, not just grieving her life and what she's done in her work, but also just the uncertainty around the politics of it, which was already stressing me out. And Diane, I know in California, you have the fires. We have them here, too, in Colorado. 
here in Santa Barbara that we had some really smoky days. The whole state of California has been experiencing smoke. And there was one morning where we ended up having to cancel school for the day. And it, it, it becomes like at points where it feels like it's just too much. And I know that a lot of people have experienced that in different ways over the course of this pandemic, uh, times when it feels like it's too much and then times when they come up for air and there's, there's, you know, really wonderful things that are happening as well. And moments of hope. I mean, I think it's so up and down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They say that pandemics like this one lead to what's called a second pandemic, which is the mental health consequences like depression, anxiety, PTSD. And I think we're seeing that now. There's some early research on what people are noticing with the rates of mental health issues and addictions, domestic abuse, all are on the rise right now as this continues to go on in the future and multiple stressors pile up. And really, as therapists, I think we're on the front lines of that aspect of the pandemic. I think that we're seeing how people are struggling in our work. And just a quick shout out to all the therapists who are listening that this is really important and hard work that we're doing right now. And we are also meanwhile going through this. I found the episode with Susan David that Jill did a while back really helpful. uh, Because she talked about how as therapists, we are simultaneously processing our own experience of upheaval and the pandemic and all the changes in our lives while our clients are going through it at the same time. And I don't think I've ever quite felt so intimately connected on the same page with my clients ever. And it's hard. I mean, at times I just want to cry with them or I feel, I just want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling exactly the same way. Yeah, I do say that sometimes because I think (laughs) that I can relate. I was like, yes, I also didn't sleep last night and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think I'm noticing that there are periods where, It almost feels kind of normal, semi-normal in its own special way, and everything feels like it'll be all right. And then there's other periods where it just feels really, really hard and scary. And I think some of our usual outlets for responding to stress aren't as available to us, and so that that can make it hard as well. So APA does this annual Stress in America survey that I've talked about in other episodes, but they usually do it annually, and they started doing it monthly this summer, understandably why. And in that survey, they, they reported that of Americans that 72% of Americans say that this is the lowest point in history they can remember. Other research has pointed to the prevalence of depression and anxiety is more than three times the rate, uh, in 2020 than it was in 2019. But at the same time, some of the stats that are coming out are also interesting from the APA Stress in America study. 82% of Parents agree that they're grateful for a time at home with their parent, with their kids. And more than three in five adults are taking action against racism. And a majority of adults agree that the movement against racism is going to result in meaningful change. So here we are. This is acceptance and commitment therapy in a nutshell, right? That life is and includes pain, distress, uncomfortable emotions, difficult things are, are part of life. And what are we going to do about that? How do we turn this pain into something that is maybe worthwhile? So we're all stressed and anxious right now. And why wouldn't we be given the circumstances that we just talked about We have so much uncertainty right now, so much, and that's really hard for people. And we're also seeing so many financial stressors. A lot of families, disproportionately people of color, are facing job and income and food uncertainty, pay cuts, 
just not knowing whether people will be able to make their rent, pay their bills. And so some of those extra pleasures of life are also less accessible to people that just make life more enjoyable and fun. In the U.S., we also have uncertainty about where we're headed with the election. And globally, we're looking at the future of our world with climate change. The stress and uncertainty impacts us in a lot of ways. I am exhausted sometimes. And that's like the number one word I keep hearing from people is people are exhausted. This is so tiring. A special form of exhaustion I'm experiencing is around decision making, decision making fatigue, I like to call it. It's I think we have to constantly be weighing the risks and benefits of what we're doing. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. So everything from little tiny decisions like Should I put on a mask and go to the hardware store or not to these big decisions? You know, should I send my child to school or not, which is a decision I happen to be making right now in my family. It's very hard. And I think sometimes just feeling the weight of having to make those decisions is hard. And part of that stress and exhaustion is just that our threat system is on overdrive, right? We've, we have a lot of stressful stimuli coming at us. And we may even have some intentional biases associated of, of, of seeing things as uh, more threatening because our threat system is on overdrive. For me, that really shows up in irritability uh, and sometimes even <laughs> angry outbursts, which I can, I think people can may, may be able to relate to. I had this moment with my computer this week where I just lost it because I had piled so many things on my desktop because I couldn't deal with them that my computer was going so slow it wouldn't even move. And I just started yelling at it. And that's not really typical of me, but under these types of stressors, I think we're engaging in ways that aren't really typical because this isn't a typical time. We're noticing problems with sleep. So many people I've talked to are their sleep is impaired. And I've had nights, not every night, but I've had nights where I wake up in the middle of the night and I just that my mind starts going. And it's a, I think it's a very common experience. We're also noticing a rise in unhealthy behaviors to cope, such as alcohol use and other substance abuse. I think we're, we're feeling chronically revved up with racing thoughts, and it's just hard to focus. A lot of people are having trouble just keeping their mind focused on their work, their school. And we might act sometimes from our threat system rather than from our values. So, you know, when you're irritable and you take it out on your your family or your roommate instead of acting the way you, you would want to be. And I actually even read an article, Diana, that dentists are seeing more broken teeth because people are so stressed out. They're like clenching their jaws and grinding their teeth at night. And so I think we're all experiencing some version of stress. And these are just some of the things that we're seeing. Yeah, that sort of chronic stress inside of bracing our bodies, you know, to, to deal with it. And I think it's also in part due to the fact that we aren't moving around in our lives as much as we used to. There was ways that we could dissipate some of this stress, right? We'd go walk, walk around and talk to somebody or go and drive and pick up our kids or go to the grocery store more often. Yes, we're holding it in. We're holding it in. We're grinding our four teeth down. (laughs) Loosen those jaw muscles, people. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But we don't have some of those same ways of dealing with our stress that we used to. What are you noticing in terms of your own pandemic stress, Debbie? Well, I'm, I relate to what you're saying about not moving as much because I think I just, I am trying to get out and walk my dog and do some things, but I think normally I'm just pretty active in my day-to-day life and I'm much more sedentary. And I think I can relate to pretty much everything on there to some degree. How about Mm -hmm. you? 
Yeah, it sort of reminds me of grad school when I would check off everything on the generalized anxiety list. <laughs> generalized anxiety disorder. Yep, that's me. That's me. And the context was graduate school, right? So now it's like the context is pandemic. So a lot of these responses are normal human responses to being in a stressful situation. And it's our attempt to respond to threat, right? And, and keep us safe. And there's actually a lot of good neuroscience in terms of the difference between threat fear and anxiety, that our systems have built in a, th a threat detector, right, in our amygdala that protects us, moves away from toxins or danger and moves towards uh, rewards. And even single cell organisms have threat detection. But what's the nature of the human body and the human brain is that we take threats and we can turn them into fear, which are, is our interpretation of a real or perceived threat. So once that amygdala detects the threat, it sends information to newer brain areas like the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus where we can make meaning of it. And these systems have templates from previous times when we felt stressors or memories of threat. And we have higher order cognition like language and mental simulations and self stories that can create the experience of fear. And then once we take fear and we project it into the future, which humans have the capacity to do with language as well, it becomes anxiety. And anxiety can be helpful in the short term in terms of motivating us to prepare to create, you know, safety, do things like make sure that, um, you know, for our house, we're getting rid of all the things that might catch on fire around our house. We're doing that preparation action because of our anxiety. But long term, it can become quite problematic. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that thing you said about language and the ability to think about the future and create solutions in the context of the pandemic, because the virus, this is abstract for most of us, right? We can't see it. It's tiny. Um, and most of us don't even have a direct experience with having had the virus ourselves, but we're able to still learn about it from other people, talk about it. That anxiety motivates us to s take steps to keep us alive, like wearing masks and social distancing. So it's really that ability to problem solve and think it through that that is helping us stay safe and anxiety is motivating us. But at the same time, it can be not so helpful because I sit around, I don't know about you, I check the data all the time about rates of <laughs> how many people are getting it in my area. I can overthink, I can worry, I can get really trapped in a place where I'm struggling with this experience. So we can start to create problems in our own mind that don't even really exist related to this. So it's a definite double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. That This concept of a double-edged sword and language also plays into technology and how we're using a lot more technology currently to communicate. It's our probably the primary way of communicating, at least in the US, a lot of our kids are being schooled through technology. And the benefits of technology are really showing up right now during a pandemic, right? We can, we can talk with our loved ones or we can do telemedicine or teletherapy with our clients and still be in a safe environment. But some of the, the dark side of technology is that our own language-making brain can also fill in uh, tone or fill in missing information or keep on pressing that, that, that feed button over and over again so that we're overstimulating our threat system with images and fear-based information all day long. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about today is how do you make more of an um, intentional use of some of these tools, even intentional use of your own language in your mind. 
So what happens when we get anxious or threats are present in this way, we do what humans do and what a lot of uh, organisms do is we try and control the threat or avoid it. And that works really well with things outside of our skin or things outside of ourselves. It doesn't work so well when one, we can't control what's happening outside of us. And two, when we're trying to control what's happening underneath our skin, our own thoughts, emotions, memories, sensations, urges. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I think that we do things to avoid our emotions or avoid our experience. And that can include things like just trying to stay distracted or numbed out. We might try to constantly overthink and try to think our way out of this problem. We might sometimes want to give up. We might use too many substances or do things that aren't super helpful in the long term. And I think there are a lot of examples of these kinds of things that are people doing in the pandemic. Diana, what are you, what are you noticing? Are you doing any forms of experiential <laughs> avoidance yourself? I think I check mark everything you just listed and more. <laughs> uh, sometimes experiential avoidance helps us get through, right? In the short term, it can be helpful. Uh, but for me, where it becomes problematic is actually when I use work as a form of experiential avoidance. Maybe I'm feeling just like sad or don't have a sense of to make something of my day that would be meaningful and connecting. And so I just turned to work because it's easier. And now that we have, I have the ability to work 24 seven, that really becomes a problem because I, I feel like, uh, you know how free divers talk about, they love to go down to the bottom of the ocean without um, a wetsuit or without a um, pack on their back because they feel so much closer and connected to what they are in. I feel with work and with all my experiential avoidance, I'm packing on all of these barriers to really being fully in my life. How about you, Debbie? I mean, I can relate to what you're saying for sure with kind of overworking too much screen time. I think I don't do this all the time, but I can easily slip into watching too much Netflix. I watched like five Schitt's Creek episodes in a row once because I was just like, I just want to pretend like life is normal. I also can occasionally slip into a pattern of, you know, pouring a couple glasses of wine in the evening as a way to just kind of chill out. Um, but I think one of the main things I'm doing is I'm just constantly, like I said, overanalyzing, checking the news, just kind of thinking too much about all this, but in a kind of avoidant way where it's just like my wheels are spinning and not getting me anywhere. And sometimes I even avoid situations like that are probably pretty low risk in terms of getting exposed to the virus, but I just don't really know. And I think because it feels scary to me, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to not do that. That's that one's a balancing act, though, I feel like. Yeah, it's tricky. In my practice, I'm actually seeing some subtle beginning signs of a little bit of agoraphobia. I was talking with a client about, you know, encouraging to go out for a hike and how she was really starting to feel like even doing like that, even though it would be safe and it would, she'd wear a mask or would be really distanced from people, that was starting to feel a little bit too much out of her comfort zone. So this nature of we're needing to avoid to for some degree to keep us safe, and yet avoidance can lead to a to a narrowing of life. And that's, that's where uh, experiential avoidance, sort of that fine line between, is this experiential avoidance pulling us away from our valued actions? And does this experiential avoidance have secondary problems associated with them? And we're always weighing those benefits and costs in terms of the pandemic, but also looking at the small, subtle ways in which is this self-care or is this avoidance? And how do I, how do I know the difference? Well, and on the other end, I mean, I think some people are experiencing a form of experiential avoidance where they're just pretending like this isn't happening. 
and they're saying, I'm not doing any of that. I'm not social distancing. I'm not. So it can happen in a lot of different ways, I think. And it might all be based in the same thing, which is just that this is very hard and unpleasant and people don't like it. Right. And that's where psychological flexibility comes in. So today we're going to be talking about psychological flexibility and its role in the face of stress and uncertainty. And psychological flexibility is really about how we respond to the stressors that we're facing in in a way that lines up with what we care about, what matters to us in this moment in time, right? And it's a way that may be really key to navigating what Debbie referenced as the second pandemic. So Stephen Hayes defined psychological flexibility as the skill of changing or persisting in a behavior when doing so serves an individual's valued ends. And what that means is being able to flexibly adapt and change based on your values, even in the face of discomfort. And there's been a number of studies that have shown that psychological flexibility is really not only key to mental health and one of the biggest predictors over time of well-being, but it's also key in navigating stressors that are out of our control, like things like chronic pain, anxious thoughts, loss, grief, cancer. Uh, More recently, there's been some uh, more correlational studies looking at the role of psychological flexibility in mental health during COVID. There was a study by Pakenham and colleagues in 2020 looking at mental health of Italians during lockdown and found that being psychologically flexible helped mitigate the effects of COVID on anxiety and depression. And Brooke Smith and colleagues just released a paper in the Journal of Contextual Behavioral Science showing that our ability to be psychologically flexible tolerate uncertainty and accept our emotional experience may really help buffer the negative effects of social isolation during this time. Now we're going to walk through some of the psychological flexibility processes that are really key to building this skill that might be helpful to you. And we're going to do that highlighting some examples of some of the things that people are experiencing related to pandemic stress. One act process is present moment focused. As I talked about, anxiety is anticipation of future feared events that's coupled with avoidance behaviors. Focusing on the present moment can help us break up some of the anxiety loops we get in. When you, when you focus on the present, just focusing on your five senses, like what am I seeing, hearing, smelling, etc., you refocus your attention back to the task at hand and just the sort of this one thing right now. It also allows you to see more clearly because when we're off in this future forecasting or ruminating about the past, we're not as much in the here and the now, what's happening right here, right now in front of our eyes. Yeah. And we often, when we look at this moment right here and now, it's like, I'm okay right now, you know, and that can be really centering to just remind ourselves of that. I'm okay Mm -hmm. in this moment. Another process is acceptance, acceptance and commitment therapy. It's clearly, it's a big one. And this is about both accepting what you can't change, and we'll get into the part about changing what you can, right? So as an example, we can't change the virus and make it go away, but we can control what we do in response to the environment. So, you know, we can wear a mask, we can make decisions, we can think about how we're taking care of our health and interacting with others, that type of thing. But acceptance also means more than that. It also means accepting all of the hard emotions that you might be experiencing, the sadness, the anger, the fear, whatever it might be. I think if we acknowledge that these emotions are a very normal human reaction to a really stressful situation, we can be freed up to just allow them to come and go. And it can actually help us if we just let ourselves feel our feelings when they arise 
And then we can move forward. And I think, as we just talked about earlier, it's when we get into a struggle or try to avoid our emotions that things just get worse. This is certainly the case. They've done a lot of research on things like craving, right? Like knowing that the craving will rise up, it'll plateau, it'll come back down. The same is true of our difficult, painful emotions. We've all experienced that. There's there's times where we feel like this is really intense and then times where we can find some peace in it all. And so acceptance loosens up our struggle so that we can take our energy and our focus and put it where it, ma- where it really matters instead of fighting what's happening in our bodies or inside. Another word that I think is helpful to use if acceptance doesn't fit for you is just the word curious. Sometimes curious is easier to think about or to embrace than acceptance. Like I'm just, I'm just curious about what this sensation is I'm feeling, or I'm curious about uh, my emotions, or I'm even just curious what will happen next, you know, being open and allowing rather than resisting what is. We have a few pandemic related areas we're seeing where emotional acceptance can be really useful, grief and moral distress. So let's just talk for a moment about grief. I think we're seeing with this pandemic that people are experiencing loss, both sometimes directly if they lose someone that they care about from COVID or if they're around people who have been impacted in that way. But we're also noticing non-bereavement loss. So for instance, that trip you were supposed to take or some activities, even small ones that you normally enjoy, the graduation ceremony that got canceled, those types of things are also experienced as a loss. Are there things that you're experiencing as a loss in the midst of this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's loss around seeing people, my, you know, my loved ones that don't live in my town or in our state and plans that we had had for the summer to spend time with them. It's and loss for my kids because so much changes in a year, right? And if they're not seeing their grandparents in that, you know, physical way, so much will have changed by the time maybe they can. So there's, I think there's loss around relationships and, and the time going by and how this time would have been different if we weren't in this situation. How about for you, Debbie? I mean, the kid one is huge. One of my daughters finished preschool and started elementary school and there's all these rituals that happen and we didn't get to do them or, or they were all altered. And I think, I, yeah, I just miss things being normal. I miss doing day-to-day things with people I care about. We, I'm, I'm missing some of my friends that I just don't get to see. I'm sorry, Zoom is just not the same. It's been really hard. Yeah, I miss my yoga studio. <laughs> I miss going in and being in with that group of people and just a moment of feeling good in a space and being able to let everything go for an hour and just be somewhere else than my house. <laughs> I know. I miss yeah. travel. I just had, yeah. I had a big trip planned this summer and it was canceled and uh, so many things. We could probably spend the rest so of the things. time talking about losses. Yeah, yeah. we could reminisce on our losses. Sorry to, sorry to be such downers here. <laughs> uh, Everyone has yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Everyone has them. And, and actually it's acceptance and allowing grief to flow through us. Like having a good morning cry, I've been doing that throughout this pandemic of just crying more than usual. It allows the, uh, the grief to move through us. I have to shout out to my friend Gwendolyn, who's actually, she's a song circle leader. That's what she does. And, and this, these were the words to her song. She said, silver linings and little deaths all wrapped up in this human experiment. In the spirit of love or in the name of fear, why are we choosing this? Let's be very clear. We're weaving the old ways in a new way. We are grieving opening a new day. And I feel like that really wraps up this experience of it's both loss and then also change all happening at once. 
We're also seeing a lot of moral distress and guilt around some of this. It's really interesting. I think you think of maybe the doctor who has to make a decision about a patient, and that's a really obvious and extreme form of moral injury or moral distress. But we're also seeing it in smaller ways. So for instance, you believe that it's a good idea to wear a mask, but you don't. Or you know, you might face the consequence of a decision that you made and just feel terrible about it. So an example, I know someone who tested positive, And when I called her to check in, the first thing she said to me was not about herself. It was that she felt so terrible because she had been around family members without realizing that she had the virus and she might have spread it to them. And I think sometimes we're making decisions based on the best of information we have available, but we still might end up in a place where we feel like we made the wrong one. We feel guilty. And I think ACT can be really helpful here, this idea of acceptance, because these are also very normal emotions to have. These are our moral emotions, like guilt and shame that exist because we're social creatures who are tied to one another. And we can actually use these emotions, I think, when they do show up as a reminder of our values, they can kind of guide our behavior in the direction of what we feel is the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I love how um, Dr. Borges has written on this and talked about this concept of actually these moral emotions pointing to our values. And when we cover them up or we emotionally avoid them or experientially avoid them, we, we miss out on something that's really important there. So feeling that means that you care about something. For example, how and when do I see people in person in my office? Do we sit outside 10 feet apart with masks on? But then what if someone were to contract COVID and I would have to do some sort of contract tracing with my clients. It's, it's really challenging because at the same time, I see how some people are socially isolated and they really would benefit from seeing me in person. It's hard to make these types of decisions. Yeah. Lauren Borges, who you just mentioned, has been on the podcast before to talk about moral injury. And she also has an article out we'll link to about moral injury during COVID. So check that out if you're interested. We also do have a couple of episodes about grief as well. So we'll link to all of that. If, if you're struggling with grief or with moral distress, take a look. So we've talked about acceptance. Now let's go back to the change side of the equation. And we're going to talk about another act process, committed action. And I think in every moment, we do get to make some choices about what we're actually doing. And we can always do the next right thing. So if any of you are Frozen 2 fans like me, there's a song that Anna, the character Anna sings. I know. I'm sorry. I have to say too, Diana, she's smiling at me on the screen. <laughs> My daughter, who's eight, was kind of making fun of me because as I was preparing for this episode, I listened to it and I just, I really started kind of sobbing. So if you need a good cry, pull up that song because Anna's just in this very dark place of grief and fear and she sort of realizes that she has to listen to that little voice inside of her that's telling her to just take the next step and take the next step and take the next step. And I, I honestly think that there are some days in the pandemic where if you can just make yourself breakfast, take the garbage out, maybe get a little work done, maybe not, call your mom, your grandma, your friend, whatever you need to do, just doing a few of those things every day, whatever's right in front of you, that's a step in the right direction. And sometimes that's enough. Yeah, ACT is more about workability than it is about shoulds or 
big like life goals that you need to catapult towards. It's more about what's workable in your life. And workable right now may be super, super, super tiny. And that is absolutely fine. Self-compassion is sort of like a big blanket over all of these processes. Self-compassion being noticing that we are suffering, that we're in pain, that we're struggling, and then taking actions to help alleviate our own suffering, right? So this isn't necessarily the time to take on a couch to 5k plan or whatever those things are called. But if that helps you, if that if that gives you a sense of working on something with mastery, great, go for it. But I do think it's more about committed action is more about what are your values in this moment right right now? And how can you point yourself in that direction with what you're doing in the here and now. Can I take a quick detour about what you just said? Because unrealistic personal expectations came up in an article I read about pandemic stress. And I have to just Mm -hmm. tell you, at the start of this pandemic, I had this big plan that this is the time I'm going to be home. So I'm going to declutter my entire basement. And I stacked up all these books I've been meaning to read. And I mean, like, substantial books, you know, like I'm sitting there thinking I'm going to be reading these kind of heavy. Well, none of that has happened. And I think at some point in this, I had to just be like, you know what? That's okay. I have to go easy on myself. Like this is not the time. Thinking of it like it's a snow day and we're snowed in and this is the time to rearrange your closet, but this is a pandemic. (laughs) It's not a snow day. (laughs) So (laughs) let's just regroup here. And I'm on the same page, Debbie. I took, I went and bought out all these frames thinking that I was going to redo all of my pictures on my wall. Those frames are still sitting in my office from six months ago with not a picture in any of them. And now they just become a feel like every time I look at them, I feel a little bit of guilt. <laughs> so that's, that's the, that's the dark side of taking on too much or having these types of expectations. I think it can be helpful to look at what are some of the stressors that are on you right now? What are the loads that you're carrying? And is there anything that we can do? to change some of those loads. So maybe that's decreasing our expectations about what needs to be done, decreasing our expectations around how things need to look. One thing that I know was helpful for me was the advice to not add anything new right now. It's like imagining that you're carrying in 10 loads of groceries from your car and someone says, here, can you hold my phone? It's just, it's too much. So not adding on new things and maybe looking at what are the stressors that are impacting you? Are there ways to be um, more selective and wise? I do think that there's some benefit in being able to have routines, not schedules. There's a difference between a schedule and a routine, but just sort of a routine, a regularity, something that I, an anchor that I can hold on to throughout my day. And for some people, it may be things that you've already done or had in place before that you hold on to and you keep going to keep that self-care practice and self-compassion committed action in place. There can be benefits to working in, like you said, a lot of us aren't moving as much and movement, nutrition and sleep, not to make them to-dos are keys to our mental well-being and health. So in a compassionate way, how can you integrate some more movement into your day? And that may be even doing some of Katie Bowman's work in terms of nutritious movement of, uh, you know, for example, have different workstations that you move about in uh, that, that so that you're not in one space the whole time or sitting in one space just to give your back a little bit of a break, standing, having a ball, uh, and also looking at some of your sleep hygiene. We have some good, uh, two great sleep episodes as well to take a look at. ACT is also a behavioral psychology, which means we care a lot about 
behaviors and what triggers behaviors to occur. Act as something called functional analysis, where you take a look at what is the cue, what is what is the behavior, and then what is the consequence of that behavior. We're actually going to be having a great episode coming up with uh, Judd Brewer in October, all about the habit loop of when there's a trigger, we act in a certain way and we get a reward and how to reorganize your own habit loops in ways that are beneficial to you and that are more oriented towards your values. If you're struggling with a certain type of behavior, there's ways you can step back and use some of your mindfulness skills to become aware of what your pattern is and see if you can make a tiny step or, or habit change to help you out. And Debbie and I did an episode a while back on on habits and, and habit formation that may be helpful for you right now if you're struggling with, with some habits that aren't working so well for you. Another process to think about is called cognitive diffusion. And what that means is, is not getting bogged down by your thoughts. So a lot of us, our thoughts are going a little bonkers right now. And our minds can be all over the place with this stuff. And instead of trying to argue with your thoughts or rationalize with them, or even just believing them automatically, just assuming that they must be true. You really want to notice your thoughts, be aware of them, and just take a step back from them so that you're not latching onto them too tightly when they're showing up in unhelpful ways. And I'll give a personal example. I definitely have some doom and gloom type thoughts about the future. You know, we're all going to die. The world is collapsing. I mean, it can get kind of dark in there sometimes. <laughs> and I think this happens especially at 2 a.m. when I mm-hmm. something wakes me up and then, you know, I just go there. And I think there's not much you can do to really just totally stop that. But what you can do is to notice those thoughts, just realizing I'm worried, I'm stressed. So what my mind is doing, I don't know the future. I can just kind of take a step back from it and watch those thoughts from a different perspective. So I see them for what they are instead of just assuming that that's the truth and we're all doomed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, our thoughts can be so convincing. And I like, Debbie, how in that example, you really practice just labeling them is helpful. Putting a label on something, stamping it like, oh, that's a thought. That's my anxious thought. That's my 2 a.m. Every night at 2 a.m. whenever I wake up, it's going to have a tendency to be in that direction. And just being able to identify it for what it is, give it a label, give it a name, uh, gives us a little bit more wiggle room to then to see them more clearly or, or choose whether or not we want to listen to them. You know, it's when I actually said it out loud and labeled them as doom and gloom, they actually, it actually sounds like almost a little ridiculous, which is yeah, funny yeah. because at 2am, that's not how it feels. Yeah. But that's kind of what we're trying to do is to just see yeah, it for yeah. what it is. I love Benji Schoendorf. I did a, a workshop with him at ACBS Worldcon, and he has this great line of when we're stuck and when we get hooked. So he talks about sometimes our thoughts can be like hooks that as you're a fish swimming down a stream, you get hooked and it pulls you in a different direction, the direction you want to be going. And he said, it's just helpful just to say, say your name. This is Diana. And I am hooked by the thought doom and gloom, right? And just claiming it, <laughs> claiming that you're hooked helps pull the hook out. You know, it's not, it, it's, it's nothing magical, but it works pretty well. And when it's 2am, you don't want to be rationalizing with irrational thoughts. It's just, it, it will take you nowhere. So the fifth process that is so helpful right now is values. And a lot of the feelings, like we said before, that, that we're having, whether they're moral dilemmas or it's our anxiety, are like flares that are that are sending out a, a message to what we care about, what feels threatened to us. It wouldn't feel so scary if we didn't care so much or if things didn't that things didn't matter so much to us. Things like the fires and climate change 
feel scary because our environment matters to us. Having a safe place to live, having a, you know, a stable uh, climate is important. So one thing that we can do when we're noticing our, our strong emotions is be able to look what's underneath them and see them as our values. Yeah, I think one area where this is coming up a lot right now is related to existential concerns that people are having about, you know, what's the point of all this fear of our own death, just feeling like life is short, and there's going to be loss. And I think that that's very present for me right now. And and not just in that doom and gloom way, but much more of this thought around, I'm not going to be here forever. My parents aren't going to be here forever. All the people I love aren't. And I think it's easy sometimes to pretend like that's not the case. But in the middle of a pandemic, we're pretty aware of that. And I do think that when we have existential thoughts, and when we're in contact with the fact that we're going to die someday, it also, like you said, it points toward what matters to us. And it gives us the sense that, as Robin Walzer said on an episode about this with us a couple months back, she said that the clock is ticking and that we only have so much time left. So what can I do in this time that's really important to me? It's interesting because many Buddhists actually practice on death meditation or impermanence meditation purposefully. You know, before the pandemic, they were already focusing on this as a means to point you towards being very much here in the present moment and even taking refuge in, in the fact that this is, this is impermanent. So just as the, the things that, that we love, where we know that we will lose, the things that we struggle with will also change over time. So impermanence is, is the one guarantee and it points us to committed action in the here and now. And it also points us toward our sixth psychological flexibility process, which is perspective taking. We sometimes get really caught up in our own stuff, right? (laughs) Like our own problems, our own day-to-day concerns. And perspective taking is a way to just zoom out and look at the big picture of our lives. And if you think about all the ups and downs you've had over the course of your life and the ups and downs that are ahead, you know, this is a pretty big down for most of us right now. It can be helpful to remember, though, that, you know, you have a whole life and it's a mixed bag. And also you can remember there's a little bit of a common humanity and just remembering that most humans have suffered in various ways, whether it was a war, a pandemic, a personal loss, just the struggle to kind of make it through the day. And so there's almost a sense that we're united in that. And why should we be immune from that, that struggle and that suffering? And I think taking a look at it in the big context of that sometimes can be helpful when I'm so caught up in my own problems and how this is impacting me is just taking a step back and looking at how it's impacting all of us and putting it in context. Yeah, I think that all of us have experienced times, maybe even just the life, our own lifespan, looking back of times that were really hard. And they may have been prolonged times, times when we've lost someone, times when we've gone through maybe having a newborn or an illness or a job change, and even zooming out and seeing how we got through those times and the strength and outgrowth that came from those times can be helpful. That's sort of this this concept of post-traumatic growth that Debbie, you and I did an episode on actually when I was evacuated from fires two years ago. We did an episode while I was evacuated on post-traumatic growth, right? So this is, this is the scope of our lives. And zooming out even further, one of the things that I really valued from the conversation that I had with Psychology of Radical Healing Collective is the use of looking at our ancestors and what they've been through. And in, in particular, for people of color, 
seeing the strength and the resilience of your ancestors, what they have overcome can give a sense of radical hope, right? So I, I think that that is a really powerful zoom out perspective taking tool, as well as perspective taping in terms of getting behind the eyes of another. So as we talked about self-compassion earlier, there's another component, which is compassion for other and taking the, the perspective of other people that are struggling and how can I offer care and compassion and support to those that are, that are struggling and connect with them. Yeah. So that could mean all kinds of things. You know, if you have the time and resources, it could be volunteering, maybe working for the election. If you're worried about politics could mean donating time or money to the food banks. If you're worried about the economic impact of this, it could also mean just small compassionate act towards the people that you see in your life or the people that you can reach out to in your life who are also suffering. And I think while we're talking about compassion, we should also talk about loneliness and social disconnection. That's a really a big issue for a lot of folks right now. I think that this is really impacting people a lot. And especially I think for people who are dating, dating is really tough right now. If you're looking for a relationship, it's always hard, but I think there's some extra challenges at the moment. People who are living alone and then also older adults, people who are retired. So they might not have the day-to-day structure of work or young kids. And so I think that really building social connection in whatever way works for you is really important. And that can mean a lot of different things for different people. Because I think some people want different types of social connection, right? So for some people, they might need to be out and about doing things. But for other people, it might just having like one or two people they can really confide in. And there's a lot of different things that you can do, even in a pandemic, to try to reach out and get support. And and one of the main things I think is, if you are finding that you're really struggling right now, is talking to someone about it, just not being alone with that. I think it's hard, Debbie, because like there's sort of two main things that you talk about when, when somebody's depressed and struggling. One is behavioral activation, engaging in positive, pleasant events on a regular basis, right? Getting yourself out in the world and doing things. And the second is social connection. And if we're feeling depressed and we're feeling lonely, how do we have the energy to go out and do the hard work of making connections, right? It's not, that's not an easy thing. And and in particular right now, it's an even harder thing. And I think that is where, again, going back to technology can be helpful finding a a common interest or even taking a class. There's a ton of online workshops, classes. For example, the Rick Hansen uh, program, he, he even offers a free meditation on a weekly basis where after the meditation, he has small breakout groups that people can just meet other people and talk about their experience with it. I think things like that can be small doors that we can walk through to not only just engage in connection, but have it be meaningful connection where we can talk about our vulnerabilities and our shared experience. I have a list right here because there's an article about promoting social connections among older adults because I think they're at higher risk. And so therefore, they're doing more social distancing. And this list has all kinds of things, including writing emails or letters, taking care of pets, connecting with people over phone or videos, looking at photographs to remind yourselves of memories, calling a support line, and then even things that remind you of your connection with nature or a higher power or our shared humanity, like getting fresh air, making art, listening to music, watching birds, looking at flowers. We'll link to this article online, but I think that there can be so many ways of doing that. And you're right, it's hard sometimes when you're 
down, but I think that they're, you know, this, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and socialize with a big group. It can be all these yeah. different things. Yeah, I love the idea of lists because sometimes when we can't generate it ourselves, it's just helpful to have a list to go down and, and give it a try, give it a shot. And you might be surprised. That's sort of beginner's mind, right? Be open to the possibility that something could be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what to do. Yeah. So that was our list of the psychological flexibility processes. And now we're going to talk about a few strategies for the specific situations of family stress and working from home. I think what's interesting is that these uh, six core psychological flexibility processes are really showing up more and more in terms of when people are researching about a number of different things that could be helpful in our day-to-day lives, like parenting and work. There was a recent study that came out by Jennifer Dax and colleagues that looked at the family systems model and psychological flexibility during the pandemic. So the family systems model being that as a family, we all interact with and impact each other. And there can be some spillover effects that happen when we experience stressors. So for example, if I get really stressed and I get really rigid and controlling, it's going to impact how I parent. It's going to impact my partner. It's going to impact our whole family system. And what they found in that study was that our ability to be flexible, uh, to allow difficult feelings to pass versus being rigid predicts our effectiveness as parents and uh, as well as the um, outcome for our kids during a stressful time like COVID. Thinking about psychological flexibility as not only benefiting you, but benefiting the whole system that you're interacting within. And part of that is using acceptance skills that we just talked about. Part of that is also thinking, how can I get more flexible in my thinking, more adaptable, less rigid, and less rule-governed in my behavior. And for those of you who are parents who are having a tough time with the kids right now because it's so intense, go back and check out some of our recent episodes. We've done several that are designed specifically for parents who are burnt out and stressed right now. So check those out if that would be helpful. So there's a lot that we're adjusting to right now in terms of working from home, uh, how we're going to manage our time more effectively because everything has just been kind of all grouped into this one big space of work and home and laundry and eating. And how can we both on the one hand be flexible and not rigid and have to have it be a certain way while also being able to create sort of healthy containers and expectations for ourselves that that make it so that we can be more effective and focused at our work. Debbie, you did an excellent, well, we, you and I did it, but you were sort of taking the lead on an excellent uh, episode a while back on focus and attention that I would highly recommend if people are struggling with working from home, just some really small strategies that we could do that could be helpful. Yeah, I think we talked earlier about how sometimes in a stressful situation like this, it's very hard to focus. And I have heard that from a lot of people, just the ability to sit down and do your schoolwork or focus on your job is really hard right now. I think one of the things that can be helpful is to just carve out some focus time when maybe you're not trying to do the laundry and make a snack and get distracted by your phone and to just really carve out these brief periods of time, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, because I do think that at the moment, it's hard to concentrate if you try to do it too long. And also if you're trying to multitask all day. So check out that episode. Yeah, being aware of multitasking and and basically what that attentional residue factor that is every time you're switching from one task to another, your attention is sort of 
still left on the old task. So it's, it is helpful to, to try and focus on one thing at a time, even if it's for a short period of time and carve out space for yourself. It may mean that you're doing, you know, less work and maybe less in terms of a parent or sitting down with your kids with their work. But again, reminding ourselves, this isn't a snow day, it's a pandemic. <laughs> so be easy on yourself. Yeah, it's also really important, I think, to make time for social connection with coworkers, because one of the meaningful and important aspects of work that we sometimes overlook a little bit is just having people around us that we work with and collaborate with and having that, you know, break room chat and the support of people. And I think sometimes in this remote working era, people will want to just log on to Zoom, have their meeting and then go about their day, but actually making time to connect with coworkers can actually help make your work work life more fulfilling, even in this strange circumstance we're in. Yeah, that's such an important prelude to our work conversation is just that chatty time or that check in time that, again, there's this awkward zoom etiquette that we're all trying to figure out where in the beginning, we're not even acknowledging each other, we're just figuring out our microphones and our you know, sound. And it's so different than how it used to be in terms of entering into a space and looking at someone, you know, being in their presence, but we can be more intentional about making time to connect, really asking people how they are doing and being honest about how we're doing in a vulnerable way, because that vulnerability is what creates closeness. In this episode, we've talked about a number of the common experiences that we're having in response to the pandemic and, and the global stressors we're all experiencing right now. And we really pointed to ACT as being uh, an approach that could be helpful and some of the strategies that we're using with our clients in our own lives. If you're finding the pandemic is really hard for you emotionally, reach out for support. There are mental health professionals that can help you if you're really struggling, if you're in a really dark place, or at least reach out to someone who cares about you and let them know what's going on. It's just so important, too, that we go easy on ourselves and just be aware of that tendency to be hard on ourselves and put extra pressure on ourselves. And remember that it's okay to be going through a hard time right now. All your emotions are valid in this hard situation, and you're not alone. We have to do what works best for us. There's a lot of different ways of coping with this. And so we hope that there's something in today's episode that you'll find helpful in terms of psychological flexibility as we get through this tough time. We have a ton of resources from previous episodes on ACT. You could search ACT on our uh, website, offtheclockpsych.com, or you could look into some of the episodes that we've listed at the bottom in the show notes for this episode that could be useful for you for your if you're having specific concerns. And we hope that you found this episode helpful and we're thinking about you and wishing you the best during this challenging time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our interns, Dr. Catherine Foley-Saldania and Dr. Katie Lear. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.